You're tuned into KRBX 89.9 FM, 93.5 downtown. We have chosen to, in the middle of our Fall Fun Drive 2014, interrupt our daily edition of Democracy Now! to bring you special programming. We like to take advantage of special opportunities that come our way as a community-based resource. Um, that's what makes us special. So today, we are going to make use of the fact that Senator Mike Crapo, our senior senator from Idaho, is in town to conduct a series of town hall meetings across the south, southern southwest part of the state. He's traveling from Crouch to Melba and Marcin and Notice and uh, 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 Parma. And so we are so pleased to bring in uh, Senator Mike Crapo. I'm also joined as well by Nathaniel Hoffman. So um, thank you, Senator Crapo, for being here with us this morning. It's an honor to have you here in our station. Well, Jeff and Nathaniel, it's great to be with you. I look forward to talking about the issues of the day. We're going to be, as you said, going across southwestern Idaho for, well, we have been for two days and will be for two more days. And uh, then we're going to do the same thing all across the state and hope to hear from people everywhere. So a series of listening sessions. Yeah, and right. it's really good. This is t- the, the next one, which is in Crouch, as you said, uh, is I think our 13th that we've held in the last week or two, or Fantastic. maybe two and a half weeks. And uh, we're going to keep going until we get to every... And we're focusing on small communities. We'll do the large towns like Boise, but we're really getting into the small communities well, as well so that the folks there have a chance to come on out and, and visit. Well, that's what we're about here is uh, trying to foster dialogue discussion about the issues that are important to folks in our state and our region. Um, so, um, but maybe before, Nathaniel and I have prepared a few questions, okay. but maybe just give us a flavor of what you've been hearing so far in these communities that you've been visiting. Well, you know, it's a kind of a constant theme. And I have to start out answering that question by saying people from Idaho really get it. <laughs> I mean, they're smart they have common sense. It seems to just be in the air and in the water we drink. And, um, and they're very, very frustrated with the way that government is going in Washington, D.C. They're frustrated with the fact that we have such gridlock and we can't see Congress act on the things that it needs to be acting on. And they're frustrated with the things that they see happening. They see that uh, our national debt is still skyrocketing, that the federal spending is not being restrained, that the government is growing in leaps and bounds and intruding into the lives of people in increasingly uh, in greater and greater ways. And, uh, and they're concerned that we're getting bigger and bigger government, more and more taxes, and gridlock in Congress. And, so, and then from there, you know, you get into a host of issues. But that's a very common theme that, that I'm picking up. It does seem that it's, uh, it's, yeah, where is the commonality? I mean, I think as a station, that's what we're trying to find, right? And you yeah. mix, like, one part fringe right and one part fringe left and some career politicians maybe, and you don't get a healthy diet for what's going to sustain us in our future. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, you can put the responsibility for this or the cause of this uh, on a lot of people or circumstances or what have you. And it isn't just one single cause that's making all of this happen. But I often remind folks that, you know, the reason that we don't just see this division in Congress. We have a division in our country among the people. There, there, are, there are wide differences in our country right now about how we should govern and what principles and values we should utilize as we approach governing. And those differences are being, uh, those, those disagreements are being engaged in, 
in very harsh ways these days. And I think part of the problem is that as a society, and frankly, I think part of this really falls on the media, and I'm not blaming you guys, but it, it, the, the media tends to feed conflict. And, and so we have gotten into sort of a conflict mode of resolving our disagreements about how to govern, and it's really gotten uh, toxic, I think, across the country. You speak of gridlock, Senator. Uh, Representative Simpson was in town this week. I don't know if you saw his remarks on the Boulder White I Clouds. Did. And uh, uh, he, you know, pretty strongly blamed gridlock in Congress on a lack of progress on Boulder White Clouds issues. I'm wondering where you are on that issue and um, if you think changes in the Senate makeup might uh, advance his cause at all. In your future? Well, I do think, frankly, if there is a change in, in control of the Senate, that there is probably an increased chance for Cedra, uh, his, his bill, to move forward. Although, it, I, I, you know, I think that both parties would probably uh, give it consideration. And uh, to me, your question leads right into the issue of uh, how do we get to yes on a bill like that or on any kind of uh, similar land management legislation. And uh, you probably know I am a huge advocate of collaboration. If we just have one side of the debate try to cram down their solution, it's not going to go. It, 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 this the same gridlock we were just talking about is going to stop it. If we bring all of the interested parties together, all of the stakeholders from all aspects, whether it be those who want wilderness or wild and scenic river designation, or whether it be the ranchers, the farmers, the timber, the mining, the recreationists, the off-road vehicle users, and the list goes on and on, uh, and then have them sit down and work out solutions. They can work out win-win solutions rather than win-lose solutions. And the Owyhee initiative that I worked on, uh, and we finally got over the finish line. It took us nine years. Yeah. Uh, uh, it worked that way. And, in fact, that's the first time in 29 years we have gotten a major land management bill like that in Idaho across the finish line. And so I think that's what needs to be done, and we're close to doing that. I think we could get it moved if we get agreement. I mean, Representative Simpson has been working on that bill for many years. Do you think that there's more that needs to be done in Custer County and Blaine County? Uh, well, obviously, there is still some conflict there. Uh, there. There are different, among different stakeholders, there are some who are not on board. But frankly, I think it's getting closer and closer to having that kind of agreement among all of the stakeholders. And so uh, there may be, uh, I have to see exactly how the new bill plays out in the House first. Um, but uh, there may be some some additional tweaking that needs to happen when it goes to the Senate. You know, the the fact is that there probably isn't a bill that moves from the House to the Senate or the Senate to the House that doesn't get a little different tweaking or a little attention to it sure. when do, it moves. Do, I mean, that collaborative spirit that you're talking about in the Wahis, how, how does that apply to our congressional delegation on issues like this? I, our delegation all uh, believe in collaboration, and, and they all are willing to work on it. I know there's been some stories floating around saying one or the other members of the delegation at this point and that point haven't been supportive. Uh, and, you know, I've been included in some of those, and other members of the delegation have been included in some of those. But the, the bottom line is, I believe our entire delegation strongly believes in, in uh, collaboration. You know, the, Senator Risch is the one who, through the collaborative process, got the roadless rule put into effect in Idaho. Uh, I just mentioned the Owyhee initiative that I've worked on. And uh, Representative Labrador and, and Representative Simpson are also both focused on collaboration because we all realize that if you don't, in, in today's political world, 
If you think that you're just going to do an in run around some stakeholder group and go to Congress or go to the courts or, or wherever you want to go to try to get your solution crammed down, it's not going to work. Well, it doesn't engender much goodwill. As a reminder, you're tuned into special programming here on Radio Boise. We're in the middle of Fall Fund Drive 2014. We're visiting with Senior Senator Mike Crapo, who's been gracious enough to share a little bit of time uh, amidst his uh, rigorous town hall meeting schedule to sit down with us and chat about uh, some folks that we think some some issues that we think our listeners uh, might be particularly interested in. As a follow up, maybe to some of the. Um, uh, environmental type oriented questions. I wanted to ask you, um, in the spring, Gallup released a poll and the poll talked about a 26 point difference by party affiliation of Americans who worry a great deal about climate change. What role do you feel that party affiliation, um, philosophical leanings, um, social context might play in the fact that with such an important issue, there is such a disparity between the importance that the two parties regard this issue as. You know, I think that that distinction or that difference that that poll shows is not so much a party difference, because frankly, the parties don't tell the people what to think. The people tell the party what to think. It's philosophy. (laughs) Yeah, it's philosophy. And I really believe, uh, you know, I I don't know for sure, but just, just my take on this is that that kind of a number shows up uh, not because of a difference in belief among people about whether to protect the environment, but in terms of a difference of belief with regard to the solutions that are being pushed forward right now. And let me give you an example of what I mean. Uh, I think there's very little disagreement about the fact that we want clean air and we want to be able to, to protect our environment. Uh, But there's great disagreement about the current proposed rules that the president is pushing through the EPA to address this issue because the concern is that it will not do much really to help with regard to global warming or clean air issues, but that it will uh, drive up energy costs, slam certain parts of our industry, and cause cause people across the, the United States to uh, have higher energy bills while the business is driven outside our shores to other nations. And when, when you see those kinds of concerns, I think that's what's showing up in the poll, is people are saying, wait a minute, the solutions that are being pushed on us are solutions that are going to be harmful to us and are not really going to help the environment that much. And that's where I think the real debate is. Yeah, at the same time, though, I don't think that our leaders, who really do need to be leading on this issue, have done... they've to me, done an abominable job in terms of actually being out in front of this issue. And they've followed the whole way. And to me, if, if an educated country is not on board with an issue, to me, it shows some shortcomings in terms of how leadership has addressed the real consequences of something as profound as climate change. Uh, I, I think I agree with you, but let me see if I can heard what you were trying to say. Uh, I think, for example, that the solutions, instead of of an effort that the United States unilaterally tries to impose on its own, on on the United States only, which would drive business offshore and drive up the cost of energy here in in the United States, the solutions need to be first working in the global arena in terms of putting the issues forward strongly and then working together to develop uh, alternative energy solutions and uh, focus on things like, for example, nuclear energy. 
uh, not only in the United States, but globally. And instead of seeing us focus on nuclear energy or other clean energy technologies, in terms of incentives, we see a, a penalty-driven type system and one that is localized to the United States. And so I, I actually believe that if we went further and had that kind of leadership that I, I heard you talking about to have the kind of effort to focus globally on the issue, but to do it in a way that did not um, cram down penalty solutions, but instead incentivized alternative directions, uh, I think we would actually make a lot more progress. We just have a few more minutes, it looks like, according to my clock, unfortunately. So we're going to try to get to as many topics as we can in the next sure. few minutes. So Nate, why don't you go ahead and... Um, I, I've heard you go, talking about your mortgage industry reform bills re yes. recently. And I uh, actually brought a letter here I got yesterday in the mail uh, from, you know, it's seems to be a Excellent. lender who's uh, trying to get me to refinance. I'm well, just wondering, too. <laughs> uh, you know, this is another philosophical debate over the cause of the crash, the, the crisis we've had in, in housing. And so I'm just wondering what your bill does to address um, issues like, I mean, I, I don't know what this company is, but, sure. you know, people yeah. who are... I appreciate that question. Uh, you know, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which were quasi-governmental entities, essentially governmental entities, and today are governmental entities because they've been taken into receivership, and a new government agency, the FHFA, has been created to run them. So today, the United States government is equal to the shareholders, the board of directors, and the management of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. We run everything. And they basically uh, control, at this point, the, the vast majority of the secondary market in mortgages, the, the financing part of mortgages and the marketing part of them in securities. And as a result of that, we have a, essentially a government takeover of the industry. And that government takeover comes with it, uh, has with it a taxpayer guarantee, in effect, of, the, of those companies which is a really bad and dangerous situation with regard to the taxpayers of the United States. We've already had to put about $200 billion into Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to bail them out of taxpayer dollars. And what our bill does is it moves that taxpayer guarantee almost out of the picture, but, puts, but leaves it in as a backstop, but moves the private sector into place in front of the, currently the government and, and the taxpayers in in managing and, and implementing and then ultimately carrying the risk for the secondary market in mortgages. And I know that's kind of complicated talk, but the bottom line is we move the government out and the, and the private sector in to that role of, of uh, financing the mortgage system. And we, we think it will bring a huge amount of new private capital into the system rather than having the federal treasury be the backup. Yeah, it is, I mean, it is very complicated, but it wasn't the private sector responsible for the huge number of subprime mortgages previously? I mean, isn't that... Well, you know, there is a debate over that, but uh, I believe that one of the major reasons for that was, first of all, Congress was pushing it and, f and trying to force banks into going into more and more uh, less qualified and unworthy and toxic mortgages. Uh, but secondly, it was Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, who at that time were not as controlled by the government, but were still quasi-governmental entities who were driving the incentives for this, in my opinion. Now, there will be disagreement with that. Other experts would say that's not true. I, I tend to think it is. But the bottom line is, whether it was the private sector that said, hey, we got all this money we can make off of these mortgages, and they were doing no-doc loans and no-down payment loans and all kinds of stuff that was really not justified, um, 
you know, I, I, maybe the best answer would be to say the private sector should take its share of the blame. The government should still take its share of the blame on that. But the bottom line is we need to fix it. And what our bill does is fix it. I should have said one of the other things our bill does is it bans those kinds of loans that are so toxic that they cause. I think those loans, everybody agrees, those bad loans were the ones that caused the crisis. And, and what our bill does is fix that. Okay, one more quick question. I'll let Jeff take it back. But, uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks we've had a flourishing of same-sex weddings across Idaho. Yes. I'm wondering if you've encountered any in the small towns, you've uh, any couples that have recently been married in the towns that you've been visiting, and if you have a message uh, on that issue. Uh, I haven't encountered any couples. I did have a question from one of the persons who came to one of my town hall meetings, which was clearly from the perspective of supporting same-sex marriages. I personally believe in traditional marriages, uh, but most importantly, I believe that decision should be made by the people of the individual states. And that's how I have voted on the issue as it's moved through Congress in several different iterations. And that's how I think that we ought to resolve the issue. You know, the people of Idaho voted 62% to say that a marriage is between one man and one woman. Uh, whether one agrees or disagrees with that, that's what the people of Idaho voted to put in their constitution. And I think that that's, what, uh, that's the way we ought to approach it. That's not to say that, that legal rights and legal benefits to, to same-sex unions uh, could not be made available. I think they are in Idaho and in most states. Uh, but I, I just I personally come down on the side of saying that I, su- I personally support traditional marriages, but most of all, I think that that's a decision that people should be allowed to make in each state. Just uh, pivoting back to some of the themes that you've been hearing uh, during town hall meetings. Uh, yesterday, you were at the business uh, convention. Meg Whitman there from yes. uh, uh, Hewlett Packard visited and addressed and uh, spoke about Idaho's need for a well-trained, well-educated workforce, right, to take mm-hmm. us into the future. Yet, uh, per student spending in our state, it ranks towards the bottom of the barrel. Um, it seems like not only... Does this priority seem to be a disservice to the students, but it also doesn't necessarily incentivize or attract the type of creative information-based critical thinking and the workers that we need to bring to our state in order to have us succeed in future economies. It still seems very regressive how we're dealing with education in our state, and it seems to be a perspective I hear a lot. Yeah, well, first of all, let me say that is a state, not a national issue. But, no doubt. But, but, and I want it to stay that way. That's my first point. Uh, there are some who would like the federal government to step in and start taking over public education. But your thoughts in general but, on how yeah. we should prioritize that in terms of leading <clears throat> right. our state into yeah, I understand. the future. With regard to uh, the public education issues, I believe it is and probably uh, – well, it probably is and should be uh, the highest priority we have in our budgeting in the state. Uh, as I served in the state legislature before I uh, ran for Congress, and uh, I always uh, made it my highest priority as we moved forward. So I, I definitely agree it should be our highest priority. I do um, take a little – I don't take issue with, but I just want to – react a little bit to the notion that we can define what the strength of our commitment is by the level of per-student spending. Uh, I've seen those kinds of studies that show almost all 50 states are the lowest in some way (laughs) because you can move the numbers around. And first of all, Idaho is not one of the highest per capita states, and so you're not going to be able to see Idaho be able to make the dollar commitment that a, a higher per capita state 
is. And, and I don't know that, that many of the lower per capita states will ever have the ability to uh, compete with states where the incomes that people earn are so much higher. That being said, uh, I still believe that, you know, there. I know there's a debate in Idaho over not only the dollar commitment, but over the structure of how we apo- approach our public education. And I personally believe that, uh, as I said, that you're, you're right on point. And I wasn't there for Meg's remarks. I had to leave the conference just as she was starting to speak. But I have no, it's not surprising to me to hear what she said, because it's true. And, and we have got to have the kind of development of uh, our public education and also our secondary education in Idaho. Our colleges and universities need to have that same kind of commitment of support from our legislature and our governor uh, to be able to make sure that our students in Idaho have the best education they can possibly get. Now, whether whether the current direction that the govern the go- current you know Governor Otter's proposals are for education is the right direction or not, I'm not an expert enough to 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 know because I haven't been involved in that debate. But uh, we've got to focus on that. And so, although I I do take a little bit of question as to whether some of those studies that try to say that we're you know, not giving any priority to our, to our kids are accurate because I think w- our legislature and our governor do give priority to them, um, and and if they don't, or if there's a if the, if there's a concern about that, I'll just weigh in one more time and say education should be uh, our highest priority at the state government level. Is that about? The- are we running out of time? I apologize that uh, I'm on such a tight schedule here. We, we do have to probably I know. Run. No, we're so appreciative of the fact that you decided to, um, to stop in with us. Um, we've been fortunate to have you here. Uh, as a reminder, we've been speaking with senior senator from Idaho, Mike Crapo, who's been kind enough to visit during uh, his road show. So you're headed to Crouch today. Uh, Crouch is the next one. And, and uh, Horseshoe then Horseshoe Band. And we're going to move over. I think we end up at Weezer. Are you stumping in any other states for, for your colleagues? In uh, I'm, I've been working for months, well, actually for the last couple of years, trying to help them in different capacities, uh, whether it be in their fundraising or going to their states and, and helping them. Uh, during October, it's kind of the final push in all of those campaigns where they're, they're pretty much uh, doing their thing. And uh, I'm out here in Idaho doing my thing with, uh, with town meetings. Which candidates have you been uh, uh, I've, for? I've been, uh, well, as you might guess, Republican candidates in, in virtually every case. But uh, all of my colleagues who are currently serving in the Senate who are running, I, I've been very supportive of in the open seats. I've been supporting our candidates uh, like Joni Ernst in Iowa and uh, Tom Cotton and a number of the others who it looked like they have a good shot at, uh, at, taking, uh, at winning a seat. Well, thanks for coming in, Senator. That's great. Yeah. We just have to ask you one more question. Are you a music fan? Do you like music? I what, do. What do you listen I to? I do. You know, I, I like all kinds of music, and I'm, I'm not dodging your question. Uh, <laughs> I, I Is really this a politically like, correct no, 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 answer I'm gonna, to I'm the gonna, music I'm question? Gonna, I'm going to pick one. I really like rock and roll. <laughs> it's we, probably do you I, do you play rock and roll? Play, or you play other stuff. We play plenty have, of rock uh, and roll. We have a show that just plays a history of Boise rock and roll. Boise. Is that right? I'll have to tap Boise. you know tap into that and listen to it. That's great. Well, thanks again so much, uh, Senator Crapo, for visiting us during Fall Fun Drive 2014. 
And um, we just appreciate it so much. And thank you for um, getting out there uh, in these small towns and trying to get a pulse of what it is that is uh, on the minds of Idahoans and important to them um, this uh, election cycle, but also uh, uh, to secure a great future for our state. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me in today. Okay. We're going to uh, rejoin now uh, today's edition of Democracy Now!, you're listening to KRBX 89.9 FM, 93.5 downtown. We are community-based, independent, people-powered radio right here in your town.